Today we're going to talk about under the hood. We're talking about this uh, for the last four weeks. This is the fourth week. We're talking about how it's not just enough to have shiny paint on the vehicle. You gotta, it's got to run good. And I've talked to you about how we don't want to be a church that people are just enamored when they come on Sunday morning because there's lights and video stuff and all that. But the deeper you get into the church and your relationship with Christ, the more impressed you are. And that's really, that's really at the heart of, of what I, as a pastor, want to see happen. That the, that if you get involved and you volunteer, you're more impressed than you are on Sunday morning. That if, that if you stick around for a long time, you're more impressed than you are just on Sunday morning. And so, um, so we're talking about our core values and, and today we're going to cover one excellence and I'm not first service. I talked, said not Bill and Ted's adventure. And a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? So we're going to talk about living an excellent life. And by the way, this is not an Instagram, um, deal or TikTok deal where it's like your best life now. Look at what I got. I took the right picture and everybody thinks I'm successful. We're going to talk about work. All right. Got a couple old school people with me. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse five. Why don't you stand in honor of reading the word? Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse five. We're going to read through 15. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue, knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you should, you should If you don't have a Bible, you should highlight that on your phone. You should go home and highlight that. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you, that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, you haven't called us to live ordinary lives. You've called us to live lives modeled after the most extraordinary person to ever walk the planet, Jesus himself. We pray, Lord, that our lives will be excellent, modeled after you. Pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us today by your word to be able to live that life. 
In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Excellence, the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. Extremely good. Peter is writing, uh, he makes that comment towards the end of that section about he knows his life is kind of coming to the end. Jesus had told Peter beforehand that he was going to die and it wasn't going to be pretty. That he's going to die a difficult death. And, and it was Peter's mission. You hear it in his voice there about, I need to make sure you know these things. I'm going to keep reminding you over and over and over again. So Peter says at the beginning of that section there, verse 5, I want you to add to your faith. Now, I need to make sure we're clear on something. We're going to give a little, a little teaching thing here. I need to make sure you're clear on what Peter's saying. Peter is talking to people that already believe in Jesus. He said, add to your faith. So let's go backwards here a little bit. We are enemies of God before we're saved, the Bible says. We were in sin in us causes to be in opposition with God. And then Jesus came, died on the cross, rose on the third day, died for your sin and my sin. All the sin that we had, that we, that we have committed, all the sin that we currently are committed, even in church, and all the sin that we could commit. He has paid the penalty for that. And so the Bible tells us that faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ, that's it. Faith alone, not anything you do, but faith in Jesus is what saves you. By faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. That's it. The grace of God sent Jesus to us. We believe on him, and we are saved. Amen. Amen. Wow. I mean, that's a, yeah, we're all in agreement. Okay. But the Bible says that we were slaves to sin before we were with Jesus. Now when new life happens, the Bible says that old things pass away and all things become new. When we become new creatures, new humans in Christ, it says now we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. But there's a problem. Because if you're anything like me, you haven't been made perfect yet. Just checking. Some people think that you are what we would call sanctified, meaning you're putting off sin. You're becoming more like Jesus. That's the church word for, for becoming more like Christ. You're putting off sin in your life. Some people think you're sanctified totally the minute you are saved. And I'm like, bro, I talked to you last week. That ain't true. We believe that sanctification is a process all the way through your life. So here's what happens. You have before you're saved, which you're a little rascal before you're saved. Can we all agree on that? Then you, then you have a saving knowledge of Christ. You accept Christ as your savior, repent of your sins, and boom, it says you are redeemed and saved at that moment. You have eternity guaranteed to you. Now the process starts because although you're not a slave to the rascal anymore, it's still there. Now the process starts of now becoming more like Jesus. 
And so if you live another 50 years, you have 50 years to become more like Christ. If you live another 60, 60, if you live another 30 minutes, you have 30 minutes to become like Christ. So Peter is talking about not adding something to salvation, but adding, adding these things to salvation. Everybody, everybody with me, say amen. So what we have to realize is faith doesn't sanctify you immediately. Faith starts the process of you becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is hard work. If you wake up in the morning and think this is going to come natural, you've been fooled. Because we wrestle. We fight to become like Jesus. So... So Peter is making the case that we're adding things to us, that it's a choice we make on a daily basis. It's an effort. It's a work. It's, it's, a, it's not something that's just going to wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm going to treat everybody great today. It's just natural. I'm going to always do the right thing. I'm never going to lie. I'm never going to be tempted to lie. It's just, it just comes naturally to me now that I've accepted Christ. That might last 30 seconds. Then you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, what did I even do yesterday? How did that happen? Peter says, I'm going to make every effort I can to make sure you remember this. The excellent life takes a lot, takes a lot of effort. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says this, do not, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. The quote I love, some of you know this second place is the first. Wow. I mean, we're gelling today. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. He said, don't run for second place. Don't run for good enough. Run, live your life so you can attain the prize, first place. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's saying, I have to discipline myself so that the testimony of Christ coming out of my mouth, when people see how I live, it doesn't negate what I've already told them. Paul is saying it's pointless to tell people you believe in Jesus if then your life doesn't line up with that. He says... If I don't discipline myself, I'll preach. And then when I'm done preaching and people see the way I live, it will, it will negate what I preach to them. Parents is important with your kids. It's so important with your kids. I'm not saying you can't make mistakes. Own the mistakes when you make them. But with your kids, you can't preach to them one thing and then do something else and be like, Hey, 44 years old, I'll do what I want. Because when they're 44, they'll do what they want. We have to teach them that there's some discipline happening here because of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? 
So it takes effort. I want to let you in on something that I hope will free you. I, I talked to somebody last week about this. We are not sanctified immediately when we are saved, but the Holy Spirit enters us when we're saved. The Holy Spirit himself is in us now. Paul said to the Romans, we were a slave to righteousness or slave to sin when we were away from God, but now we're a slave to righteousness. So here's what happens. When people come to me and they say, Chris, man, I'm struggling with this. I go, good. And they always, you know, the little head tilt, like this dude's crazy. I don't. I say, good. What do you mean good? Because if the Holy Spirit wasn't in you, you wouldn't struggle at all. How many of you remember before you were saved how easy and enjoyable it was to sin? Woo! Wasn't it fun? The Bible even tells us sin is pleasurable for a season. Anybody, listen, I don't do this to your kids either. Don't tell them sin ain't fun because they're going to look at you. Well, you ain't tried it in about 20 years. I mean, it's fun. Satan doesn't entice us with Brussels sprouts. He always entices us with ice cream. And he knows what flavor yours is. So the problem is the struggle is happening. The struggle, the struggle is a good thing. The struggle means the Holy Spirit's in you, unwilling to give up. The struggle means there's enough God in you to notify you that what you're doing is not good. What you're dealing with is not good. And so there's a struggle. So whenever somebody comes to me, I go, man, good. You're struggling with it. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit in you is alive and well, and, and we're, we're going to do it. We're going to beat this thing. The struggle is good. Peter says, man, you have to make effort on this thing. It's not going to just, you can't sleep on your Bible and just, and just have sin go away. It's an effort every day. And thank God the Holy Spirit is in us, giving us the power to prevail over sin. The same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in us. If it could resurrect the dead, mutilated body of Jesus, it can help you overcome sin in your life. Amen? It takes effort to add these things. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Now listen. The trick with humans is we want to reach an equilibrium. You know what I mean, don't you? Where everything just kind of works. Where, where nobody bugs you at work, your kids listen all the time, your spouse knows exactly what you want, where everything just kind of lines up. You wake up and your coffee is perfect every morning, all your bills get paid. We want to reach an equilibrium where we can just kind of Lay back. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? That equilibrium. That, that's, that's what we're, we're all kind of striving for that, for that place you can just kind of lean up against something and go, yeah, this is what life is all about. Gliding through life. 
gliding through life like Teflon. Just nothing sticks to me. Everything's easy. It's all great. The problem is becoming like Jesus is not arriving somewhere. He says, if you will add these things in increasing measure. Ha. That's the problem. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. So what Peter is indicating to us is there's never a point in time where you go, hey man, I'm loving enough. I mean, I don't know what else you want me to do. Hey, I'm being gracious enough. Hey, I'm being disciplined enough. He says they're increasing in measure over and over and over again. So that means if I could live till I'm 90, guess what there's an opportunity for? To increase in these things. I know it's crazy, but there's an opportunity all the way up to the end of our lives to be increasing and becoming more like Jesus. Amen? Look at the person sitting beside you and say, hey, you still got some work to do. Don't, don't quit. Don't quit on me yet. Still got some work to do. It takes effort to add these things. The excellent life doesn't stay stagnant. In every season, you can add these qualities. I need to warn you about something. Excellence does not require perfect circumstances. If you're waiting on circumstances to improve so that you can become more like Christ, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. Start now. In the, in, maybe you're in a terrible circumstance. Start anyway. Matter of fact... Becoming like Christ proves itself out in terrible circumstances. So then Peter said, excellence has a look. Excellence has a look. He says, add to your faith. That word for add there means make a rich or lavish provision. I like that word lavish. Hey, you're going you're gonna to put a little bit into this? I'm going to be lavish with it. He says, he says, don't just add a little bit, but add a lot of this to your life. So then he makes a list. Aren't you glad for list? The first thing he hits is virtue, moral, moral excellence. The word he used here literally means moral excellence. We're going to live an excellent life. We're going to have moral excellence. Peter is imploring the reader to add the quality of being extremely good moral people. We should be striving to live a morally good life. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, and also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death... Did you hear what he said? He's telling us, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He didn't say God's going to put it to death. He said us, put it to death. And then he makes a list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then you can add all your things to that. Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, listen, we have to be moral people. We have to put our eyes on, on the things of God. We have to put to death sin in our lives. So watch this. I could tell 
the temperature of, a th- of, of morality when we start judging things by how, by how bad they aren't. And we say things like this. Well, it wasn't that bad. When, when, I, when I tell you to, when I say, hey man, I watched this movie the other day. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that bad. And you know I'm not talking about the plot. I'm talking about what the rate, like, well, you know, it wasn't, I mean, there's a couple fast forward spots. You know what I'm saying? Don't watch it with the kids in the room. You know what I'm saying? But it was great. Peter is imploring us to say, not, it's not that bad, but how good is it? To live a morally excellent life. Listen, you're going to wake up every morning with choices to make about morality. And we live in a society, in a country now that everything is okay. I remember growing up when I was a kid, there were still some things that weren't okay. But if you go to the right state, everything's legal now. Everything's legal. Nobody's even batting an eye at blatant sin anymore. Nobody's going, whoa, geez, how do you do that? They're like, well, it's legal here, bro. The issue is the church has to stand up and say, okay, God has called me to live a morally excellent life. And so there's decisions I have to make on a daily basis God is not going to do it for you. He's not going to come and down and say, you shall not watch that movie. You shall not tell that lie. You shall. You know what it is. You feel it right here, don't you? It happens right, right when the temptation comes. It happens right there. And you feel it. I know this isn't right. That's why some of you don't lie very well. As soon as you get ready to tell a lie, you feel it. And then you do that. (laughs) And somebody's looking at you like, what what was that? Holy Spirit, man. Like sometimes it just grabs my face and yanks it back. I start twitching. You were getting ready to lie to me. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit called me and I couldn't, I couldn't cover it up. They call them tell signs. It's the Holy Ghost in you not letting you lie. Or at least not wanting you to lie. You have to make the decision. Don't just let your face give it away. Make the decision not to do it. The morality of the church is no different than the world. We don't have anything to offer. We have to wake up in the morning determined that every decision that's laid in front of us, that when we get that check from the Holy Spirit, we go, God... Thank you for the check. I will make the decision to glorify you, to live an excellent life, to honor you with this decision. I'm going to live a morally virtuous life. And we have to do that. Listen, if you come to this church any length of time, you know that I believe in grace and mercy and forgiveness. But at some point in time, we have to start making the decisions. Like we have to start coming back and going, you know what? I'm done with that and I'm going to start doing it God's way. Because Peter says, if you will continue to do this with increasing measure, it will produce things later in your life. It will produce good things. You'll never have to remember which lie you told because you're not lying anymore. Never have to remember if I did this and I don't, sin confuses us so bad. 
So Peter, first thing he says is, you better, better be adding morality, better be adding virtue to your life in increasing measure, increasing measure, increasing measure. The struggle should be real with us every day. What is the right thing to do in these circumstances? Then he says, add knowledge. This is not common sense or common knowledge, but, he, but it's knowing the will of God. Peter's saying, be confident of the will of God. First John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Holy Spirit, get you again. Okay, watch this. I have so many people that say, man, I just, just trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And my first instinct is to say, have you read his letter to you? He spells it out. It's a pretty lengthy letter that he wrote to you. You know, you know the frustration with, uh, that I have like, I like building furniture and stuff. I have to be honest with you, I hate Ikea. Because, for this reason, they build things in a way that force you to read the manual. I think I'm a common sense, pretty handy guy that I should be able to unbox this thing and put it together. In the name of Jesus, somebody started to furnish a thing like that. What do I want to flip through a 50-page deal to put a coffee table together for? But that's not true with your life. Because we serve a God that doesn't think like us. The Bible says it already. He doesn't struggle with sin like we struggle with sin. He's not tempted like we are tempted. So the Bible says he doesn't think like us. He, his, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So in order to know the best thing, the excellent life that God has for us, the will of God, then we have to increase in the knowledge of who he is. It's not a frustrating Ikea piece of furniture because you know when you put it together, it ain't going to last very long. This is for eternity. So what happens is he's begging us. Peter's saying, you have to increase in knowledge. You have to increase in knowledge. You have to increase in knowledge. The will of God is what's going to walk you through this life. He's a, he's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How do I know that? Because he's already written the path down. You say, well, Chris, he's not that specific. He's calling you to love the person you're having difficulty with right now. You're saying, well, that's pretty specific. Yeah, it is. He's calling you to do good to those people who are not doing good to you right now. He's called you to be honest in every circumstance. He's called you. He's called you to put others first. He's called you to live a moral life. It's all spelled out. And you can get famous people to read it to you now on your phone. And yet we live in one of the most biblically illiterate generations to ever populate the planet. And we're walking around wondering what God wants us to do. God, what do I do? Trust me when I tell you this, you cannot gain knowledge sleeping on your Bible. You can't do it. There's no osmosis going on there. 
You have to open it up, whether you listen to it, whether you read it on your phone, whether you read it on your iPad, whether you have a paper Bible that you have. I don't care how you do it, and neither did Peter. You just have to get it in you in increasing measure. Because what I know now about the Bible trumps what I knew then about the Bible. So then what I do now is different from what I did then. Amen? Come on, if you're new to the faith, this is so important. Don't wing it. Don't wing it. There's no need to wing it. Well, what does God want me to do? What is it? It's in here. Trust me. So the more I systematically walk through it, the more I look into it, the more I read it, the more I understand it, the more I ask people, hey, can you help me understand it? The more I take in, the more likely I am to become more like him. So Peter says you got to be morally pure and you got to have knowledge of God's will. The third thing is he says, self-control. Self-control. Second Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Paul's telling Timothy that. Here's something I believe. We should be more disciplined the longer we walk with Christ. Peter here is using the same word that Paul used in Galatians 5 as a gift of the spirit. Self-control is a gift that God gives us. So the spirit living in us allows us to control ourselves. I know you're not supposed to use the word to define the word, but self-control is pretty obvious. Control yourself. Amen? Control yourself. I'm going to say it again just for effect. Control yourself. I don't know why I flew off the handle. Yes, you do. You are out of control. Here's what I found out. If I'm unwilling to control it, God's not going to come down and force me. The fact that I will control it means that I am following him. Do you remember we just read? That, that I know because you keep the commandments. So Peter is saying, listen, if there's an ever increasing measure of self-control in your life, it's going to benefit you. Amen? Amen. Steadfastness. Literally, mean, literally means perseverance or patience. Peter encourages us to have to add the ability to continue in the faith, to keep going regardless of circumstances. We need to develop the ability to stay rather than run from hard things. Perseverance was a key characteristic in all of the New Testament church. It was a defining attribute of the New Testament church that they could persevere through anything. Listen, we live in a culture that quits at the sign of difficulty. We'll quit relationships, we'll quit jobs, we'll quit people, we'll quit anything. Oh, this is too hard. I can't do this anymore. How many times do you hear that? I can't do this anymore. Peter's coming out from the exact opposite. Peter's saying, I don't have long to live. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to double down. Peter's saying, I don't have long to live. So I'm going to make sure, I'm going to double my efforts to make sure you remember all this stuff so that even when I'm gone, you won't forget it. 
You will never develop perseverance on a mountaintop. You always, always develop perseverance in a difficulty. You know what I realized as a parent? I wanted my kids to walk through difficulty. I wanted them to. I didn't want 25 years old being the first time they ever had to face adversity. I wanted them to stick through things they, that they didn't want to finish. I wanted them to, we, 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 had, a, we had a mantra, we, like Joneses don't quit. You sign up for a sports team. If you lose every game, you will play. And your father is not going to the coach and whining and belly aching on your behalf. That was for somebody out there. <laughs> Perseverance. Listen to me. The best thing you could do at this moment in your life is not quit. I know. I know you've got a thousand, you may have a million reasons why you should quit right now. But I'm telling you the sign that I'm becoming more like Jesus is on my way to the cross, I don't give up. Sometimes you need to be in the word of God not to quit. Sometimes you need to have other people in your life not to quit. Some people, sometimes you have to go to a counselor not to quit. Sometimes, sometimes you need to get 15 people around you telling you not to quit. Sometimes you need all of the above at the same time not to quit. And I'm telling somebody in the room right now, whatever it takes, don't quit. Don't quit. Peter says, if you increase your ability not to quit, it pays off. It just pays off. Anyway, nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> then he says godliness. Devotion to God should increase. We should be increasing our devotion to God, not just hanging on to it. Making a conscious decision about God first in our lives. After all, one of the Ten Commandments is, I will have no other gods before you. We're making a declaration on a daily basis. You're it. No other idols. No other thing is more important than you. You are it. Then, then Peter goes into two things of basically kind of the same thing. He says brotherly affection and love. Brotherly affection, how we are to each other in the house. We've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. If we treat each other poorly, how can we ever tell anybody out there that God is changing our lives? If we quit on each other, if we give up on each other, if we treat each other harshly, if we don't have grace for each other when we, when we fail, if we don't do those things in here, how will anybody believe that he lives in us? Hey, come and join us and we'll ridicule you just like everybody else does. It'll be great. The last thing he adds there is love. It's the agape love that we've talked about last week. Unconditional, the love of God that reaches us through Christ should be emanated through us to others. Peter's saying, if you will increase these things, if you'll increase these things, if you'll increase these things, if you'll increase these things, he does put a little thing in there. If you don't increase these things, then he says you'll be like somebody that just forgets that you were even saved. He says you'll forget that Christ forgave you of your sins. He said increase these things because here, listen, practice produces things. Did you know that practice produces things? 
I found out, um, I played baseball all the way up through, like, we used to call it farm league, little league, senior league. I played a little bit in high school. And then later on in life, I met a friend of mine who had coached baseball at a high level. And, uh, and I realized that the things I practiced when I was a kid were wrong. Anybody ever practiced something that was wrong and you got good at it? Fear, doubt, anger, envy. You practice things that are wrong and got good at it. Oh, I'm letting you know I'm the scaredest person in this room. I'm good at it. I'm going to let you know I'm the envy, most envious person in this room. I've been practicing for years. I realized that you could practice something that was wrong and become very proficient at it. Amen? There's some people who practice gossip. They're so good at it, you don't even realize they're happening. They're like, hey, I need you to pray about something. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then a half an hour later, you're like, I didn't know any of that about that person. Thanks for the information. Peter's saying, if you practice what is right, it has a godly payoff. If you practice what is right, it'll have a godly payoff. The band's going to come up here. I want to... I I want to end with this. Listen to what Peter says here. For if you practice these qualities, you will never, anybody remember what he says there? Fall. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and lecture sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, you notice he didn't say fail. Okay, there's a very important thing here. He didn't say fail, he said fall. You will fail. You're going to sin. I know it. I'm super confident of it. As hard as you try, you're probably going to sin at least another 100,000 times before you die. But Peter said sinning isn't the thing that messes you up necessarily because we all know that we need grace. Amen. We all know that we need grace, but he's saying is this, you won't fall. So how many of you, how many of you, even in recent times have seen people that you thought were a certain way and had gained all this stuff and you thought were a certain way. And then all of a sudden you found out something and it was not what you thought. And they fell from They were up here and then they fell. Now remember, Paul said that I want to make sure that my life lives up to what I'm saying so that I'm not disqualified. So that what I'm, so that the way I live doesn't disqualify what I say. That's falling. How many times have you seen celebrities, people that we put faith into, people that we, that we stood around and honored and all that stuff, and then you find out they were not increasing in virtue. They were not increasing in steadfastness. They were not incre- And all of a sudden, from great heights, whoop, in a moment. And Peter's saying, listen, you will not have to worry about the foundation you stand on if you will keep these things increasing in your life. If every morning we wake up, we say, God, I want to be more like you. And to do that, my part of this is adding these things to my life today. I'm going to make the right decisions. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep this rascal in control today. 
You're going to give me the power to do it, and I'm going to keep it in control. I'm going to add to myself knowledge and self-control. I'm going to treat other people with love and understanding and grace. I'm going to love unconditionally. He said, if you'll add those things every day in increasing measure of your life, he said, you will not fall. You know what the church needs more of? People not falling. I'm not saying nobody's perfect. We're going to mess up, but you don't have to fall. Amen. Can we make a, can we make a covenant today to start adding things, these things to our lives to wake up every day and say, Lord, I need to, I'm on the, I'm on the timeline between when I got saved and the, my last breath. And I'm going to take every opportunity to get, be more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. And Paul, Peter just lays it out for us. Here's how this happens. Just increase in these things, increase in these things. And, and before you know it, you wake up, you're not afraid of falling anymore. You're not afraid of falling anymore. You're like, man, this is good. This is a good life. This is excellent. We want to live that way, man. For the glory of God and for the sake of everybody around us, we want to live a life that glorifies him. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today. Lord, we pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. We pray, God, that it would change us, Lord. We pray that we'd become more like Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, that we become more like him in increasing measure over and over and over again. Lord, we pray that tomorrow we're not like we are today. We pray that we're different people because the Holy Spirit in us allowed us to put the effort in. We thank you for the power to do that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, give him praise and honor for what he has done today. He's good. Amen. Come on, encourage somebody. Put it into practice this week. We'll see you back here.